0: You guys, can be seated this morning. If you want to turn with me and your copy of God's word to Romans chapter 10. We're looking at verses 5 through 17 this morning. So we're going to take a little break from our regular pattern here at Covenant, which is to go verse by verse through the scriptures. So right now we are in the Gospel of John. We've been there for several months and we've been we've made it up to John chapter 6. We just finished that last week. And every couple chapters in John's Gospel, we're taking a break from going verse by verse to do something that's a little bit more zoomed out, if you will, looking more at what does the whole Bible have to say about a certain topic or thing. And so in the previous series, we looked at law and gospel. We looked at the law as this covenant of works, and the gospel as this covenant of grace. The law as this thing that condemns God's people, but ultimately was fulfilled by Christ and brought to God's people by faith. And so, we're going to do a similar thing this next couple of weeks. We're going to look at what we call the means of grace which might be a new phrase to you, so hopefully by the end we, um, we know what that means. And so we're going to take a couple weeks to look at these means of grace. We're going to look at the Word this week. We're going to look at baptism next week. We'll look at the Lord's Supper. And then we'll look at prayer. And maybe you're already asking yourself, <laughs> what are the means of grace? What is, what, is, what is Kendall talking about here? Maybe you've heard me use that language during the Lord's Supper, I say this is a means of grace that we come each week to be brought to the table and that it's a means of grace for the believer, but you still don't know what I'm saying when I say that. <laughs> or maybe you've never heard that phrase before and it's totally new and this is the first time you've ever heard it or heard anyone say it. And even though the wording or the phrasing might be a new phrase or a new words put together like that, The concept, or what we're trying to get at, is actually very basic and simple in one sense. And yet, it remains very profound. And the words really mean what they mean. What we're saying when we say the means of grace, what we're asking is, what are those means that that God uses to bring grace to His people here on the earth? What are the means God uses to bring grace to His people and even maybe more fundamental than that, how does God save people? How does God take people that were dead in their sins and their trespasses, and how does He save them? How does God make someone, how does someone become a Christian? How do you go from not a believer to a believer? And we could ask other questions like how is someone who is a Christian, who has put their faith in Christ, how do they grow in their faith? Is the Christian faith something where we simply just believe this message, we raise our hand at that kind of evangelism event, and then we can live our lives however we want? No. We grow in our faith. We progress. We we grow and we're strengthened. But how do we do that? What are the means that we use to grow in our faith and be built up in the faith once for all delivered to the saints? And then finally, what does this have to do with what we're doing here? Why do we come together each week to worship God, why do we come to church? Why did you decide to come here this morning instead of stay in your house? What do Christians believe happens when they gather together and worship God each week? That's what we're talking about in this means of grace. And so hopefully just by those questions, you'll see that this is a very important thing, that God uses means To bring grace to his people. That he saves them and he changes them through these means. And it's ultimately by the power of the Spirit through the ministry of the Word. And hopefully we'll see that played out not only in Scripture, but as we look at this passage and all of God's Word. So if you want to open up to Romans chapter 10... We'll be looking at verses five through 17. I'll read those, and we'll be focusing more specifically on verses 14 through 17. And right up until this point, Paul has been talking, laboring to this church in Rome about the importance of righteousness by faith versus righteousness that comes through the law. That they've been saved by faith alone, they've been justified by faith alone, not by works of the law and that there's no longer a distinction between Jew and Gentile, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Paul is going to drill down into this question of how does this happen? How do people call on the name of the Lord? How is someone saved? How does someone go from having no faith, seeking righteousness by works of the law, to true saving faith, Paul's going to answer that question in our text today, and then we'll look deeper at what this means for us here in Decatur, Illinois. So this is the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says... But how will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who who preach the good news. But they are not all but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning that you've not left us to our own devices. You've not left us to wallow in our sin, but you've, in the fullness of time, sent your Son. And that you've brought us your word. That we might know these great truths. And that we might be saved. And so we pray this morning that you would use these means by the power of your spirit. That you would make them effectual for salvation. That you would apply the work of Christ to God's people this morning. That you would save them. That you would change them. And that you would transform them and make them new. That we would not be able to leave here in the same way. In the same way that we came, but that we would be changed from one degree of glory to the next, that our faith would be in you alone this morning. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So if you want to look at your hand out there, we'll have a simple outline this morning. We'll look at three things, and we'll use this sort of text as a jumping off point for those three things. First, we'll look at this idea that God uses means. That God uses means to bring grace to his people. And then the second question we're going to look at is, what are those means? (laughs) If we're going to say that God uses means, it's important to know, what are those means? And we'll try to look at that in the second point. And then thirdly, we'll look at one of those means, spoiler alert, we'll look at one of those means, the ministry of the word. The ministry of the word. So first we're going to look at this idea of God using means. So what do we mean when we say the means of grace? What do we mean when we say the means of grace? And here's a simple definition that I think will be helpful going forward. That the means of grace are what the triune God uses to save and to change his people. The means of grace are what the triune God uses to save and to change his people. That the means that God uses to not only call, to redeem, to save his people, but it's also the means he uses to grow and strengthen them. Not only to work faith in them, but to increase and build up their faith. So God uses means to accomplish his purposes. And we see this throughout the scripture. And one practical way we see this And I was thinking about it this morning as we just came out of a lot of snow. There's this great passage in Isaiah 55 where it says that the Lord uses rain and snow to water the earth and to bring forth crops so people can have bread on their tables, essentially. And what Isaiah is saying is that God uses means. (laughs) He uses means, meaning rain, and in our case, snow, lots of it, to water the earth so that crops can come up, so that we can produce those crops, so that we can have food on our table, bread. So God uses means to give us what we call common grace, which is what everybody in the world experiences. Everyone experiences bread, and everyone experiences rain and snow, some of us more than others, right? (laughs) But we all experience these means that God uses to give us his common grace. And so it's just interesting to think about this idea that the infinite, eternal, all-powerful God would choose in his wisdom to use means. Because if you think about it, why doesn't God just kind of like bring us food to our table and set it on our table, right? Like he did with, you know, the angels ministered to Elijah when he was out in the desert. Why doesn't God do that? Why doesn't he, why does he use means? Why does he use these other secondary things like rain and the ground and to, to bring food to our table? Why does he do this? It's because in his infinite wisdom, he has chosen to use means, But he's chosen to use means not only to give us his common grace, but his special grace. And that's what we see in Romans chapter 10 here, that God uses means. That Paul has been laboring to make this point that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, both Jew and Gentile, will be saved. And then he starts making this argument that how is someone going to call on the name of the Lord unless they believe in the name of the Lord? And how are they going to believe unless they've heard? And how are they going to hear unless someone has preached to them? And what he's saying there is that God uses the means of the proclamation of the word to call people to faith in himself. And it's actually very profound what Paul is saying here. Because what he's saying here is... Just as ridiculous as it would be to call on someone who you don't believe in to save you, right? I was thinking about it. It would be like, (laughs) this is a really dumb example, but it would be like calling on Superman to save you from a falling building. If you don't believe in Superman, that was pointless. (laughs) It makes no sense to call on someone who you don't believe in. And that's what Paul is saying here. It's ridiculous. It's how can someone call on someone that they don't believe in? It's impossible. And if we follow that logic all the way through, he's saying the same thing. It's impossible for someone to hear the gospel unless someone preaches it to them. That God uses the means, in this case, the preaching of the word, to bring grace, to save and change his people, to call them to salvation, to give them eternal life. That's the means God uses to save and change his people. And that's, that should be amazing. <laughs> that should be profound. That should be sh- dr- draw-dropping to us. We can say it like this. Just as God uses means to... Of, sorry, let me restart. Just as God uses the means of rain and snow to water the earth, to produce crops, to bring food to our table, so also God uses the means of preaching the word of Christ, the gospel, to call, save, convict and save his people. In the same way God uses me. Now it's not the same grace that's communicated. It's not common grace. But it's God's special grace. And that's actually what Isaiah goes on to say. If you look at Isaiah 55. It says. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven. And do not return but water the earth. Making it bring forth sprout, Giving seed to the sower. And bread to the eater. So shall my word be. That goes out from my mouth. And it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That just as rain falls on the ground, God uses the means of that to produce fruit. In the same way, God uses the means of his word to produce faith in his people. And it's not only this idea of saving God's people, but as I've said, it's this idea of growing and strengthening their faith. That throughout the scriptures, we see this idea. If you were to look at Acts chapter 20, Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders, and he tells them this. I commend you to to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Paul's saying there's something about this word of God that's not only saving people, but it's building them up. It's strengthening their faith. The word of God. In 2 Peter, the apostle Peter says... He tells the people to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. That there's something about this faith, this word of God that causes the people to grow not only in grace, but in knowledge of Christ. And so we can say this, that God uses means to build up his people and to grow them and strengthen them. God uses means. So we come to our second point is so the next question is, what are these means? How is God going to strengthen and grow you, believer? How is he going to do that? How is he going to grow and strengthen his people? What are the means of grace? And before, you know, this term was sort of adopted and adapted by a lot of the reformers in the 15th and 16th century, this word means of grace was actually used by the Roman Catholic Church. This idea of means of grace meant something very different, though. The grace that was talked about in the Roman Catholic Church was, it was viewed as a substance, as a thing, as something that we could earn. That this grace that was talked about was something that not only Christ had merited, but Mary and the saints, they had merited this special grace. And that to supplement the grace that you could earn You could pray to them and ask them to supplement your faith, or your grace, rather. And that you really didn't need to have faith in order to receive this grace, that simply by going to the church, confessing your sins to the priest, partaking of the Eucharist, you could get grace. This was called in the Latin, ex opere operato, which means by the working of the work, by simply doing the thing, you could receive this grace but what luther and the reformers did during the protestant reformation is they recovered what had been lost namely salvation by faith alone through grace alone and christ alone that grace was not something that we earned or merited rather it was what was earned or merited by christ that we because of our sin deserve the opposite of god's grace we deserve sin i mean we deserve punishment and judgment But what Christ has done is earned the salvation that we could not. That he's done what the first Adam failed to do, and he's purchased, earned, merited eternal life for his people. And that we here on the earth receive this grace that Christ has earned, not through anything we do, but by trust, by faith, by faith alone. And so what one theologian said, and I think this is really important, that grace comes not from believer to believer or from the church to the believer, but it comes from Christ himself to the believer. That what was happening in those days is people thought that they went to church and that the church had this kind of treasury of merit, and that they could give you some of the the merit that Christ or the saints or Mary had won. And what we're saying is, no, Christ himself gives his people this grace that he has earned. He is the one that gives it to his people. Christ has won redemption. He's purchased these benefits that we call justification, sanctification, adoption, and that he gives them to his people. And so the big question that we need to be asking is, How do we receive this grace? How do you and I here on earth, how do we receive this grace from God? How are we saved? How are we changed? How are we grown? How do we benefit from what Christ did 2,000 years ago? How do the benefits that he won get to us here on the earth 2,000 years later? And the answer that the scripture gives is that this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit, as we talked about in the Gospel of John, gives life to God's people and applies the work that Christ did to their very souls. That the Spirit is the one that applies the work of redemption to the people of God that Christ has accomplished. But then we have to go a little bit further. And we have to say, how does the Spirit do that? (laughs) How does the Spirit apply the work of redemption? Is someone just walking down the road and suddenly the Spirit just zaps them like a lightning bolt. And then they're just saved. And they they didn't even know it. They weren't even trying to be saved. They just were walking down the street and boom, they got saved. No, (laughs) that's not what the Scripture says. But I think that's sometimes how we can think about it. So the question that we're asking is... How do people go from being an unbeliever to a believer? How do people get from unsaved to saved, from being not a Christian to a Christian? Do they get zapped with this Holy Spirit lightning? No. God uses means. That's what we've seen in Romans chapter 10, that God uses means. That God uses these means of grace to bring grace that's been purchased by Christ to the souls of his people. And what we're really asking at the kind of core level is where is Christ going to be present? Where is Christ promised to be present? What has God instituted and promised to use to save and change his people? And the answer is his word. He's promised to use his word to save and change his people. The word preached, the word seen in the Lord's Supper and baptism, and the word prayed. These are the means of grace. So it's really nothing complex or foreign, even though the phrase might be foreign, but what the means that God uses to save and change His people is the Word of God. One theologian defined it like this. The means of grace are the delivery systems, the conduits, the appointed instruments That God has instituted to bring spiritual power, change, help, and blessing to needy souls here on the earth. That you and I, even if you are a Christian, we need help. We need grace. We don't just believe the gospel at the beginning of our Christian life and then we're good. We need grace daily, hourly, maybe Every minute, (laughs) we need the grace of God. And so the means of grace are those things that God has instituted to bring spiritual power, change, and blessing to our souls. And even though this might sound like very technical, maybe theological language, it's actually very practical. It's actually very practical. That as Christians, we experience weakness. We experience moments where our faith is weak, where we need help where we need to be changed, where maybe we've slipped into sin. Maybe our sanctification is not working the way that we thought it would. And so what we're saying here is that I want to be changed. As a Christian, I don't want to look like what I did five minutes ago or five years ago. I'm needy. I need help. And I need to be reminded of what God has done in the person and work of Christ. And what we're really saying is, I want to be where Christ is where he's promised to change me and make me new. And at one level, everyone in the world believes in a type of means of grace. Everyone in the world goes to certain things for help and for change. Everyone, <laughs> the atheist, the Buddhist, the Muslim, the unbeliever, everyone goes to certain things Because they believe that they will help them, that they will grow them, that they will change them, right? The world goes to self-help, to motivational speeches, they try to connect with the universe, whatever that means. Maybe you turn to food or drugs or alcohol, whatever it is, we turn to fame, we turn to these things because we think that in our moment of need they're going to help us, that they're going to give us strength, but they don't. And even Christians who have never heard of this language of means of grace can turn to certain things for power and help in their Christian life that aren't prescribed by the Word of God. I had this friend out in Utah. You know, there's lots of big mountains up in Utah lots of times to go hiking and snowboarding and all these things. And this guy, he was a Christian, but he didn't really come to church a lot. He didn't really come to church. He would maybe show up once a month or something like that. And I would ask him about, you know, why ain't you coming around? And he said, you know, I go to church in the mountains. You know, that's where I meet with God. That's where I'm, you know, helped. I'm changed. That's where I experience God. Maybe it's not the mountains here in Illinois. Maybe it's walking on the beach, you know, or maybe it's going for a walk. Maybe for some Christians it's this idea that these signs and wonders will bring help and power to me in my Christian life. Maybe if God prospers me or makes me healthy or makes me wealthy or this loud emotional music, that will be something that helps me in my Christian life. So everyone, in a sense, believes in these means of grace, these things that they go to for help and for change. But what we're saying is that God has promised in His Word to use these specific means. He's promised to meet with His people to grow them and to strengthen them. And that's the ministry of the Word, the preaching of the Gospel, the administration of baptism in the Lord's Supper. That through those things God saves and changes His people. That's the only way He's going to save people. It's through the proclamation of the Gospel. And I say only there with a the qualification. Because We call these the ordinary means of grace. Meaning that God can choose to use other means. He can choose to do whatever he wants. He's the God of the universe. But the ordinary way that he saves and changes people is through these means. Through the preaching of the gospel. Where he saves and changes his people. He reminds them of what Christ has done in the gospel. And he does this all by the power of the Spirit. If the Spirit doesn't empower these things... Then they have no purpose. They have no power. The Spirit must empower these things. So these are the means of grace. And hopefully, you'll begin to see that at the center of all this, the primary means of grace that God uses is the ministry of the Word. That's what we've seen in Romans 10, the preaching of the gospel, the Word of Christ, that this is central, it's primary so this brings us to our third point this morning, the ministry of the Word. That everything we do, not only as Christians but as a church, is centered around the Word. And what we're saying here is that God has spoken. That this book I hold in my hand, this collection of 66 books, is the Word of God. Which is, which is like, wow. This is the Word of God. That He is in His divine... Wisdom has chosen to speak. That he is not only the creator, but the sustainer of all things. He has given us his word, his special revelation. You can't find the books of the Bible out there in nature. You can't scrape on a tree and peel back the bark and find Romans 10, you know. God has given us his word. That it's our only sufficient and certain rule of all saving faith and practice. That he's preserved his word. We can trust that this is the word of God. That he's written it down for us. He's written down these words so that we might know who he is and what he has done for sinners like us. And so we can say with confidence that the word is a means of grace. That the word is a means of grace. That the word of God... Is what God uses. It's the means He uses to save, to redeem His people, and to change them. And so when the Word of God is preached, and the Spirit is pleased to empower it, souls on the earth are changed. Souls on the earth are changed. Believers are built up and comforted. When you, believer, hear the Word of God, faithfully preached, when you hear the Gospel of Christ... Your soul is built up. Your faith is strengthened. You're saying, That's where my faith is. My hope is in nothing less. That's what we sang about. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And for the sinner, for the one who is far from God, when they hear the word of God and the Spirit is pleased to empower that word to bring life to their souls, they're convicted, (laughs) they're converted, they're saved. That this is the means God uses. When the word of God is preached faithfully and the Spirit is pleased to empower it, souls on the earth are converted, transformed, and changed. This is good news. This is good news for us. Because it helps us in so many ways. As we saw in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is, how we cha- this is how we're changed. Unless we think this is some sort of rational, logical stepping stone, like, okay, if I hear these words, right, and then I believe these things, then I get this result. No, this is a supernatural work of God in our very souls. This is not a mundane thing. This is not an ordinary thing. It's a supernatural, amazing thing that God does in his people. He takes them from being dead in their trespasses and sins And he makes them alive with Christ. And that when the gospel is preached faithfully, something even more profound is happening. That Christ himself is preaching to his people. That Christ himself is speaking to his people. If you have your copy of God's word, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 17. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17. Paul has just gotten done talking to these Ephesians about what Christ has done for his people. That Christ was raised from the dead. He was seated at the right hand of the Father. That he's put him over all things. That he's put everything under his feet. And he's given him as the head of the church and then he talks about what God has done through Christ for the believer. That he's raised the believer up from spiritual death to spiritual life. That he's seated us in the heavenly places with Christ. That he's brought together Jew and Gentile into one people of God. And then he says this amazing phrase in verse 17. And he says, And Christ, that he, that is Christ, came and preached peace to you who were far off, And peace to those who were near That Christ himself came and preached peace to you Ephesians Who were far off And you who were near Why do I point out this verse? Because Jesus in his earthly ministry Never went to Ephesus Jesus in his earthly ministry Never went to this Ephesian church This church didn't even exist When Jesus was alive on the earth. But Paul here is saying that Christ himself came and preached to the Ephesian church. Is Paul lying? Is this a contradiction? What is he saying? He's saying what the rest of scripture is telling us. Is that when the word of God is faithfully preached. That Christ himself is speaking to his people. That's what we see in the book of Acts that Christ in His earthly ministry ascended, to the hev- ascended into heaven and by His Spirit is now growing and building His church. And when the Word of God is preached, it is actually Christ Himself proclaiming and preaching this message, growing His church and His people. Listen to these words from 1 Thessalonians. This is Paul talking to the church there. When you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the words of men, but what as really is the Word of God. That these these people in Thessalonica, they received the Word, not because it was the words of men, but because it was the Word of God. That, as the second Helvetic Confession says, when the Word of God is preached, it is the Word of God. And as one theologian said, what is happening in a sermon? What is happening when someone preaches the Word of God to someone? That by the power of the Spirit, Jesus speaks through his ordained servant, saving sinners by the spoken Word of God to the glory of God. And in true biblical preaching, Christ himself is actually the one speaking. That Christ speaks to his people, he preaches peace to his people. Through the proclamation of the word, this is the means of grace. And so as we step away this morning, we have to come back to those questions we asked at the beginning. How are people saved? How are people changed? How are Christians grown in their faith? The answer is Christ. Christ ministers to his people the bread of life that brings grace to weary souls. That grace that was purchased by Christ comes to us from the Father through the Son, by the power of the Spirit, in and through the means of grace. And these aren't instruments that you and I use or try to manipulate God to get grace, but they're means that God uses to bring grace to us, to strengthen us, to equip us, to bring us into communion with Him. And so if you're sitting there thinking, how, how is someone saved? How does someone go from being not a Christian to a Christian? The answer is through the preaching of the gospel. Through the proclamation of God's word. This is how God saves his people. And if you're sitting there thinking... How am I grown in my Christian life? How am I sanctified? How am I able to kill my sin? How am I strengthened in the grace of God? The answer that the scripture gives us is through the means of grace, by beholding the gospel of Christ, what he's done for sinners like us. That he's done something amazing, that the gospel not only saves us from our sins, but it it changes us, it grows us in godliness, it conforms us to the image of Christ. So that Jesus can say in his high priestly prayer in John 17, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That it's through the word of God that the people of God are sanctified and changed and grown. That when the people of God attend the means of grace, the preaching of the word, they're baptized, they come to the Lord's table. They are grown. He promises to meet with them and be with them. And so this gives us really a clear mission of the church. There's a lot of questions nowadays. What's the mission of the church? What should the church be doing, right? There's a lot of things that the church could do. What should it be doing? What is the church called to do? What should the church be about? And we can say it very simply that the church is called to preach the gospel and administer these means of grace. That when the gospel is preached... When the people are baptized, when we take the Lord's Supper together, when we pray that grace comes from Christ to us, we're grown, we're strengthened, we're built up. That personal Bible reading is a good thing. Group Bible studies are a good thing. Family worship is a good thing. But it's not the same as coming together with the people of God and worshiping Him together. And so, finally, what this does is it protects us. The means of grace protects us. It keeps us from inventing other means of grace. And I'm sort of stealing that point from someone else. But it keeps us from inventing other means of grace. The word, you know, somebody might say this. Well, the word of God is good, and, you know, baptism's great, the Lord's supper. You can keep all those, but I want these other things, Right? I want the miraculous signs and wonders, or I want to go to the beach and experience God, or whatever it is. Go to the the beach, experience God's common grace, but you shouldn't expect to see God's special redemptive grace. That the means of grace protect us from inventing other ways of receiving God's grace, and then being disappointed when those things don't strengthen us, they don't help us. (laughs) And someone might say to that, You're putting God into a box. You're restricting God. You're limiting Him. You're putting Him in this box. You're saying He can only work in these ordinary ways. And I would say to the person that says that, that they are in fact putting God in a box. Because typically, those I'm stealing this point too, typically those people that say God can't work in these ordinary ways, what they're saying is God only works in these extraordinary ways, only through the miraculous, only through this, these crazy supernatural signs and wonders. And what we're saying is that God, in His grace, has given us these ordinary means where we can trust and know that He's going to meet with us. He's going to be present with us. He's going to change us. We don't have to wait around, waiting for this special, unique word from God. He's given us His word. We don't have to wait around for a miracle to happen. God has given us the means of grace and we can go to those things. And so we shouldn't despise these ordinary means. They're not very amazing in one earthly external sense, right? The bread and wine behind me is not some magical thing. It's ordinary. And yet it's the means God has instituted to grow, strengthen, comfort, and bring rest to his people. And so this morning... Our faith and our hope is in God. (laughs) Our faith and hope is in Him, the one who has purchased grace by His Son to give that to us by faith alone. And so this morning, our eyes should be pointed to Christ. Our eyes should be pointed to the one who has done everything, that has earned grace alone, that we receive this grace by faith, by being united to Christ we receive all the benefits that he's won. He was put on the cross so that our sin might be forgiven and he lived the perfect life of righteousness so that that might be credited to our account. That's the only hope we have today. Let's behold him this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for the means of grace. You've not left us, Lord, to our own devices, to our own systems, our own man-made things, that you've given us your word, you've given us baptism and the Lord's Supper and prayer, these means by which we can receive grace from you that has been won by Christ, and when your spirit is pleased to empower them, Lord, you change us, you give us help. When we're weary in our Christian life, when we're dealing with sin and struggling You've promised to meet with us and to strengthen us. And so this morning, Lord, we come with open hands. We come wanting to receive your grace. That we could not earn it. We couldn't. We definitely don't deserve it. But in your mercy and in your grace, you have given it to us. And so this morning, we rest in Christ. We receive all that he's done. And we rest in him alone for salvation. Would you use the word of God to strengthen our hearts. To build us up in the faith, to grow us and mature us. And we know that ultimately, you are at work in us and that you will see it to completion. That he who began a good work in you, believer, will bring it to completion. That he will finish it. That on the cross, when Christ said, It is finished, that that was true. That we have hope today that Christ has finished our salvation and that all we need is in him. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.